0: as we continue this time of worship, uh, we're grateful that we serve this God who is reigning over us in this moment. He's reigning. I pray in every heart he's reigning. Um, and so we're grateful to, uh, to be able to worship him. So I invite you where you are, if you're able to stand and still pass trays. We'll, uh, we'll sing this song and we'll invite Josh to come share a word with us.
1: who has held the oceans in his hands who has numbered every grain of sand kings and nations tremble at his voice to the Lord, who can question any of his words. The guilt of sinful man, God eternal, humble to the grave, Jesus, Savior, risen now to reign. you
0: please. Amen. I often reflect on the Sunday morning when I was sitting in worship and just a couple of minutes before I knew I had to get up to preach, but I was suffering from allergies or a cold or something that day. So I, I ran back to get a drink from the water fountain. And when I did, a gentleman walked in, walked in a nice suit, but he looked confused. He had never been into a church, And he walked in, and he said, "I feel like I'm lost. I... But last night I had a dream that God told me it's time for me to wake up and get my life right, and I needed to be in a church, so I started calling churches in the phone book. And yours was the first church I came to that told me what time the worship service began, so I'm here, and I just feel like I'm here, and I need somebody to tell me about Jesus. There are times when God, all the time, God calls us into the world to let other people know about Jesus, and occasionally God drops something right in your lap. And this was a man who took months for this man to have this journey before he surrendered his life to God. But I'm curious this morning if some of you are here and the request in your life or in your heart is, I just, I need I need someone to tell me about Jesus. I need a little bit more of Jesus. And I hope all of us are here knowing that we never come to a point in our lives where we are no longer in need of making a statement of, I need some more of Jesus in my life. You never get, you never fully arrive. You never come to full knowledge of who God is. So we're here hopefully with a hunger and a stirring. So I started a series last week in the book of Mark. It's called Refocus. We're going to be in this for a few months leading up to Thanksgiving. And I'm so excited to walk you through Mark chapter 1 through Mark chapter 10. I'm calling it Refocus. If you didn't get a chance to listen to the sermon last week, I encourage you to jump on. Jump on our podcast and and check it out. I think one of the best ways to read the gospel of Mark is that there are two men right in the middle of Mark who are blind men who are healed. And there's a a physical healing that takes place, but it's within a greater context of God opening up the eyes of the hearts and the eyes of the church to see Jesus more clearly. I stated last week... That your spiritual sight should work the complete opposite as your physical sight. Our physical sight fades with age. Our spiritual sight should get better with age. We should see things more clearly. Not perfectly, but more clearly. Today I want to go all the way back to Mark chapter 1. And Mark starts off and he's firing. And and, uh, there's one experienced attorney who once said that uh, if your facts are good... If your facts are good, you hammer on your facts, and if your facts are weak, you hammer on the desk, all right? And, and I bet you've known preachers before who stood up, and that day their facts were weak, and so they would bang the pulpit or get loud with their voice trying to make a point, but there are times when the gospel, the facts are just so good. They just are served up, and that's what marked us. When Mark opens up his gospel, he doesn't start with baby Jesus. There's no Mary or Joseph. or He's he's not in need of pacifiers and nurseries. He jumps straight over the birth of Jesus and he gets straight to a point. Mark chapter 1 verse 1. Look in your Bibles. Here's what it says. The beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And I wanted to stop right there. And if you make notes in your Bible or you highlight things, I want you to look at verse 1. Because I don't know some of you when you read books or you watch movies or TV shows. has, Has there ever been a time you've gotten halfway through a book or halfway through a show and characters have not been developed yet? And maybe some of you like this. Maybe you like watching movies or books where it takes a while for characters to be developed. And then there are other times when, boom, you know within the first few pages, this is who this person is. And Mark doesn't play around. It's not like the Gospel of Luke where it takes two full chapters for Luke to tell you about the birth of Jesus so we can get to the character and the mission and the ministry of Jesus. For Mark, it's verse 1. He lets you know why, when, where, how. This is who Jesus is. It's the beginning of the good news. The good news is gospel. Sometimes when we think gospel... We think about obeying the gospel. When we think gospel, we think about conversion. We think about when we obeyed the gospel and gave our lives to Jesus. That is a uh, that that is a, a, a form and a view of the gospel that has been shrunk to something. The gospel the gospel needs to be so much bigger in your life. The gospel includes conversion, but it's bigger than just your conversion moment. The good news of the gospel. The gospel isn't just when you gave your life to Jesus and you surrendered your life to Jesus and you were baptized. The gospel is the good news of Jesus. It's the reign of God, which includes conversion, but it's so much more. And this isn't just suggested advice or good advice. It's the good news of Jesus that is here to completely change the world. And it's the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, who the Jews have been waiting for, who the Jews prayed for every week that the Messiah would come. And not just that, it's the son of God. And this was big because in Mark chapter one, verse one, most likely Mark has gotten his entire story of Jesus from Peter. Most likely, Mark is writing to churches in Rome in a time when churches were being persecuted. When if you decided to follow Jesus, it may mean your life. Or you would probably know someone close to you who is following Jesus, who it may mean their life. Like, followership, discipleship meant something. Like, that, you may suffer for the name of Jesus. So, he's writing to this church to encourage them. But here's the thing with the Son of God is that this wouldn't have been a brand new phrase that people would have heard. The Son of God is something when Jesus was born for 40 years, the Caesars, the emperors of Rome had claimed this title as their own. And it wasn't just something they said in speeches. If you go to this next slide, here are coins that the Roman Empire would have had. Coins that had the phrase Son of God on them. People were walking around with coins in their hands. And on the coins were how Caesars were gods. And now they're being called the son of God. And it's not that God is like hijacking or just stealing a phrase that came from Rome. It's that God's redeeming. You think that these emperors are the son of God. But now here's the real son of God. Mark chapter 1 verse 1 is also a political statement. That Jesus is coming to save the whole world. That there's never been a government that offers salvation It's Jesus who offers salvation. It's never been a government that can usher peace into the world. It's Jesus who ushers peace into the world. Here's how Son of God plays out in the Gospel of Mark, and I think this is important for you. Throughout the rest of Mark, in the story of life and teachings of Jesus, two people, two beings, refer to Jesus as the Son of God. And here they are. In Mark chapter 3, verse 1, says this, Whenever the impure spirit saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. In Mark 5, 7, this is the story of Legion. This is another demon-possessed person. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. The only beings in the gospel of Mark, who refer to Jesus as the Son of God, are people who are demon-possessed. Like no other human can wrap their minds around Jesus being the Son of God until the very end of Mark. When Jesus has been crucified and he breathes his last breath, what you read in Mark chapter 15 39 is there's a centurion. A centurion who worked for Rome, the powers of Rome, knew everything about Rome. When the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And now it's been ruined for me because when I hear this voice, I think of the voice of John Wayne. Because there was a Jesus movie years ago, and John Wayne, the only part he played in the movie was this centurion. And he's dressed up as a centurion, and in the voice of John Wayne was, surely this man is the son of God. Here's what I want you to know. In the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is revealed as the Son of God when Jesus is revealed as the suffering Messiah. And it's not until Jesus is revealed as the suffering Messiah that everyone is able to grasp how Jesus is the Son of God. You see, in the Gospel of Mark, the road to Jesus is the road of suffering. You can't get the resurrection if you don't also go through death. And what happens is you have a lot of Christians today who they want the death of Jesus and what the death of Jesus brings, but they don't want the life that comes in knowing Jesus. And there are many people who want resurrected life with Jesus, but they don't want to go through death and suffering to get there. So here's the gospel of the good news of Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. And you would think with that, Jesus may be ready to step on center stage and like perform his ministry, but but it's not time yet. Instead, Mark goes to a prophet. Read in Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 2. It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness. Prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. And so so John the Baptist appeared. Eating locusts and honey and dressed in weird stuff. He's like this mixture of Bear Grylls and Duck Dynasty, all right? (laughs) his only message is repent and he's dressed weird and he eats weird stuff and he's not performing miracles when people are flocking to him. Uh, You're probably aware of what an advanced team is. I was speaking at a leadership event for a church in Montgomery, and after we, I spoke to the entire church, the leadership, we went to a lake house. There was a member of this church who owned, it was the biggest lake house I've ever been in in my life. When I went there, the week before, there was a high official in some country in Africa, I don't remember which one, who had stayed in this lake house. And so the Secret Service had been there for days before I got there. The, there was security that had swept the premises multiple times. and swept the outside to know exactly what was around this house. And when you walked into this home, it smelled so clean. You ever been in a place when you're like, eh, this place is really dirty. And they just lit a candle to try to take care of it, right? And then you've been in other places when it's like, man, like they clean everything in this place. That's what it felt like. There was an advance team that went in to prepare the way for someone who was great, who was coming. There have been times when I have spoken in places and I have needed someone to introduce me because people had no clue who I was. They needed to let the crowd know something that, hey, we have asked Josh to come for this reason and here's who he is. But you know what's really awkward? There have been times where I've been at events or I've been part of putting them together when people have asked me to introduce Bestsellers and people that uh, everyone else knows, like a John Orberger, a Bob Goff, and I had to introduce them. Nobody cared about me introducing them. They just wanted to hear these people step up on stage. Like, why do we have to have John the Baptist? Why can't it just go straight to Jesus? Because Jesus could have stepped onto the scene, right? Performed a miracle healed the disease, drove out a demon, begun to preach with authority, and boom, the crowds would have been there. Why was there a need for someone to like, pave a way for Jesus? And John the Baptist did. And hundreds, if not thousands of people were baptized by John. Now, baptism in that time was something a lot of Jews would do on a regular, consistent basis. Going in and out of the temple, a lot of times they would be immersed in baptism. So, baptism was a purification, right? It was more than a shower, but it's something people would do to to be cleansed before God. These people, this is something they did quite often, but now John the Baptist is preaching this message of repentance. Hundreds, if not thousands of people are surrendering their lives to God. They're responding to the message John gives, but let me ask you this question. Is this still the way God does it? What I mean is like, is God still asking human beings to be faithful to God to help pave a way for the good news of Jesus to enter into someone's life? Like, is God still asking us, His church, to play a part in helping to open doors for the good news of Jesus and the reign of God to enter into the world. And if so, what does it mean for us to be faithful to that? I don't want to come to the end of times. I don't know how it's going to work out. Or I don't want to come to the end of my life and have someone come up to me and say, Josh, I've known you for decades. Why did you never invite me into something greater? And I know kindness is a part of evangelism. And I know we're in desperate need of an overhaul of kindness in our context and in our country on every level. We're in need of people who value kindness, but kindness doesn't equal evangelism. At some point, kindness needs to lead to a greater invitation of entering into the reign of God and everything it means for somebody. John the Baptist prepares the way for Jesus. And you hear what the rest of this says, uh, and it says this. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I, I baptize, you, t- baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy spirit i wonder at any point in john's ministry when hundreds or thousands of people are listening to his message and being baptized if an ego started to play a part in his mind these people are following me but if you read what john says here john knew who john was in the story of god and he's doing everything he can to point people to jesus Gregory the Great was this church leader who lived in the, uh, the turn of the 7th century and he was reflecting on the story of John the Baptist. Now he was writing this. It sounds like he's writing this to preachers, but I want you to hear this and interpret this for what it means for your life. Here's what he said. Whoever preaches right faith and good works prepares nothing other than a road for the Lord to come into the hearer's hearts so that this gracious power might penetrate in the light of truth, illuminate them. Thus may the preacher make straight paths for God while forming pure thoughts in the soul by the word of good preaching. What you know in the beginning of Mark, he's the, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. John the Baptist is doing everything he can to point people to who Jesus is. But Jesus still doesn't go straight from that moment and enter into public ministry. There are two other events. It's an event of Jesus' baptism and the event of the temptation of Jesus. And Mark doesn't give many details to either one. It's like a tweet for the baptism and a tweet for the temptation story. While Matthew and Luke give a lot more detail about the baptism of Jesus and especially the temptation of Jesus, Mark just gives a few words to it. But both of these stories are so pivotal in laying the foundation for the public ministry of Jesus because they help you know the identity of Jesus, the character and nature and the mission of Jesus. Here's the the baptism... In Mark chapter 1, verse 9 through 11, the baptism of Jesus goes like this. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. I heard a story a few weeks ago of there's this person in the Marines, And there was one day in boot camp that they were commanded to go out to a rifle range in the rain. It was pouring down rain and they had to go out to a rifle range and they were there what felt like for hours with the rain pouring, laying down in the mud, shooting at targets and then having to reach behind so someone else could hand them shells to put back in the gun. And there's this one Marine and he was furious. He hated to be out there He would reach behind, just grab the shell from a person and shove it in the gun and take a shot and just kept doing it what felt like for hours. Until one moment he turned around and he saw that the person back there who was handing the shells to every one of these young, young people, young men, was their commander. Who chose to get down in the mud and the integrity and how these men responded to that moment where if there, there is this commander who's willing to get down here with us, we're going to follow him no matter where he goes with us, no matter where he leads us. In Jesus' baptism, Jesus didn't have to be baptized because he was a sinner. He had nothing to repent of. He was baptized as an example that there is a movement that he's ushering us into, but I think he also was baptized because Jesus wanted us to know he is willing to step into the same waters where sinners step into. That there are no waters or nowhere you've been, Jesus is not willing to step into it. I've praised God for years that he's not just a God who throws a rope and calls us to take hold of it so he can pull us out of a pit, but God reveals that in Jesus he is willing to get down in a pit with us. He's willing to get lower than our lowest low. In the baptism of Jesus, there are a few things that happen. There's a dove that comes and the dove settles over Jesus, not over John, over Jesus as a sign of the Holy Spirit descending, as a sign of God's commissioning and God's anointing. But not only that, if you notice when Jesus was baptized, he looked up and it says it was like the heavens had been torn apart. It's the same exact word of what happens to the curtain when Jesus dies. There's a curtain in the temple that was torn apart. It was violently ripped. And as Jesus looks, it's like the heavens are violently ripped open. And so the blessings of God and the favor of God and the will of God could fall down. I was reflecting on this Thursday as I'm writing this sermon I was reflecting on the baptism of Jesus and that the heavens have been ripped open since January. This has been prayer language I've had as I pray over people. I pray for an open heaven that an open heaven will, that the reign of God, and the power of God will flow into your life. And and it's given me a way to pray. And as I'm thinking and reflecting on this Thursday morning, I get a message that we had a phone call that there was a young man who was about to go to college and God was working in his life. And before he was going to go to college the next day, he knew he needed to get baptized and was wondering, is there anyone at the church who will baptize me today? So this guy came in, and when he came in, it was Fanny Shannon's great-grandson. Some of you here know who Fanny Shannon is. 97 years old, still living, still speaking truth. And here's her great-grandson who walks into the church with his mom, And I was able to get into the waters of baptism with him. And I had this language of Mark chapter 1 on my mind. And I explained to him that when Jesus was baptized, the heavens were open. They were ripped open. And the blessings of God and anointing of God fell down. And I believe this is happening to you right now in the waters. Is that heaven is open. And not only does God speak words of anointing over you in this moment. But God speaks the same thing he speaks over Jesus. This is my child. In him I am well pleased. And now, in that moment, I spoke to this man. It is your responsibility to respond to this moment in a way that you're going to be faithful to God for the rest of your life. For Jesus, this is that baptism was a place of identity where people were able to experience this, and the dove settled over Jesus, not over someone else. The voice of God came to Jesus this is him, this is my son, this is the way. You listen to him. With him I am well pleased. Baptism is a place of identity for us. I heard a story recently of an author who went to Cambodia. When he got to Cambodia, he was visiting a lot of different clinics. And he went into one clinic where there were a lot of children running around. Probably like children running around at this church. They were just crazy, running everywhere. And he walked up to this doctor. And this doctor was there, and there was a small little girl who ran up and just grabbed her leg. And the author looked at the doctor and said, what's her name? And the doctor said, I don't know. We don't know. He said, what happens is these kids just come to us, and we don't know where they're from. So he said, what happens is they they come here, and they are unnamed, and they are unclaimed. We have nowhere to send them. We have nowhere to send them back to. They have no family. They are just here. And now they were trying to call upon the church to have a part in what it means to take in people in the world who have no name. They are not claimed. They have nowhere to go. And it's the church's responsibility, if you read the Bible, to help give knowing and identity to people who need it. And it's the role of God in conversion to speak truth and identity over us who need it. To speak blessing and anointing over us who need it. But here's what a lot of you need. Because in Mark 1, what happens is Jesus goes straight from the baptism to temptation. The temptation, it's, it's brief, it's short. It goes like this in verse 12. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended to him. If you want to grow in your life, there's going to be struggle. If you want to grow in your life, you're going to be stretched. And the baptism of Jesus and the confirmation and affirmation that came from God in that moment did not exempt Jesus from struggle and pain. And it doesn't exempt us either. But here's the thing with Jesus. He goes into a wilderness for 40 days. And what's displayed through Jesus is what some of you need in this room today. Is that it is possible for the abiding presence of God to coexist in your wilderness time. That your wilderness time does not mean an absence of the presence of God in your life. They often go together. You've done wilderness time before, right? Times when you feel alone, you feel abandoned, you're in a wilderness, you don't know your way out. Jesus was there for 40 days. here's the thing, (coughs) God made it possible. He made a way for Jesus to be tended to. And as he was being tended to, God did not satisfy every need in Jesus' life. At what point if Jesus was there 40 days and he was fasting, he did not eat anything, which day do you think Jesus got hungry? I don't think the answer was day 24. Some of you ate breakfast, and right now you're like, Josh, can you wrap this up? Because I'm a little hungry. (laughs) Haven't eaten in two hours. All right. Day one, Jesus was hungry, he was thirsty. God didn't provide his immediate needs. But God made a way for him to be tended to. In your wilderness time, Jesus has been there too. In your wilderness, you may be in a place where those bills have stacked up and you still don't know how they're gonna be, get paid. You have lost a loved one and you don't know if the grief will ever feel like there is relief in your life. There's a relationship and you don't know if it will ever be repaired. You may feel right now in a place where you are abandoned or lonely. You're in depression. You don't know how to get out. And, and we're looking, there's a God who provides a way for us to be tended to in the wilderness. And through John the Baptist preparing the way, the baptism of Jesus is what, of what his identity is and the temptation of Jesus as he endures a tough struggle and finds his way out, now it's time for a public ministry of Jesus. And here's what Jesus says in verse 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The time has come. The kingdom of heaven is near. Repent and believe in the good news. The first two, the time has come and the kingdom of heaven is near. There is nothing you can do to stop it. It just comes. God determines when the time is and God determines when the kingdom comes and when it is near. There's nothing you can do to stop it. The other two, repenting and believing is the call of humanity to respond to the good news. You repent and you believe. And sometimes we grow up in churches or our theology is, well, we repented and we believe when we confessed Jesus as Lord and when we were baptized into Christ. But this needs to be an ongoing action for the people of God. So let me ask you today, when's the last time you repented of anything in your life? Repentance isn't coming to God and acknowledging sin knowing you're going to stay in the sin. You just want to make sure God will continue to love you and forgive you in the sin. Repentance is, God, I have identified something in my life that is not in alignment with who you are. And I've got to say no to it. And I need to turn to you. And I need your strength to help me get through this. Let me ask you this. When's the last time you've asked God to reveal something in your life that you may need to repent of? For the sake of transformation and righteousness. I want to ask elders and the prayer leaders, if you will, go around the room to receive people today for prayer. If there's something you need to come in front of this body a prayer, we can pray or maybe this is the time where you are thinking, hey, I've never committed my life to Jesus. I've never surrendered my life. I've never been baptized. This is, this is the day where you need to make things right with God. We invite you to come to the front. Around the room, we have prayer leaders for you to go to, and those are not... For anything to go public in this church, they are there to receive you, to pray for you, to bless you, to remind you who you are in God. So I want to invite us right now to stand. And before we sing this song, I just want to pray over us. If you'll stand and close your eyes. If you'll bow bow your head and just open your hands where you are to receive from God. For God, right now, I pray for an open heaven for the voice, voice of God to declare truth in our lives, for the voice of God to bring affirmation where people are in need of affirmation, for the voice of God to bring challenges, inspection, invitation. Just God with an open heaven, have your way with us. Transform hearts in this room where there are things we need to repent of. Give us the courage to come boldly to your throne, believing there is a God who loves and forgives, who transforms and who calls out of darkness and into your light. For those in this room who find themselves in wilderness, in a wilderness, it may be a wilderness they've been in for days, weeks, months, maybe years. Open their eyes to see how you were near, how you were with them. Overwhelm them with your abiding presence. God, less of us and more of you today. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let's sing.